Pearson Rabbit story begins with Dr. Stephanie Pearson, a passionate OBGYN at the height of her career. But when a shoulder injury struck during a precipitous delivery, her dreams were shattered, leaving her unable to practice medicine. Determined to make a difference, Dr. Pearson became an advocate for her peers, guiding them through the complex disability process. Alongside insurance expert Scott Ravitz, Dr. Pearson founded Pearson Ravitz, a company determined to approach insurance differently. Together, they set their mission to educate and empower physicians to protect their most valuable asset, their income, and the most important people in their life, their family. Today, Pearson Ravitz serves the medical community in all 50 states. At Pearson Ravitz, they understand the unique concerns of physicians. Physician-founded and physician-focused, Pearson Ravitz builds human connections before they create quotes. Life can change in an instant. It's hard to imagine that a sudden illness or injury could leave you and your family in a devastating financial situation. But with a little planning and guidance, you can prepare for every possibility. Visit PearsonRavitz.com to schedule your consultation with a Pearson Ravitz advisor. Do doctors make good parents? Medicine selects for our ability to grind through work, sometimes to the detriment of ourselves. Is that what we want for our kids? Also, we tend to do well financially. So does that detract from some of the hunger that we had to succeed? That's a lot to unpack. So let's unpack. Welcome to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring, a show by me, Dr. Bradley Block, and this is a practical guide for practicing physicians where we interview experts in and out of medicine to find out everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. Dr. Stephanie Pope, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Oh, thank you very much. I just want to introduce the audience to you. So you're a psychiatrist, and actually the way that I found you was on Instagram with your posts. You're the owner of Greater Cleveland Psychiatry. You also see children, adolescents, adults on an outpatient basis for mental health concerns. You know, we've done a lot of episodes on this podcast about being an expert witness, and you yourself do some expert witness work as well. So if anyone's interested, you know, anyone, and they hear Dr. Pope, certainly, you know, send her some some cases. And we're going to be talking today about parenting as a physician. So you are also a parent, a wife to a working spouse, mother to four children, and a dog and three cats. So... You know, that gives you a lot of reasons to have expertise in this this area. And I'm really, I've, I've been looking forward to this conversation for a long time. Oh, thank you very much. I think it's, I love this topic and I think it's an important topic, not just for parents, not just for physicians, but anybody that has a loved one. I think this will hit home for a lot of people. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the reason, you know, my, my main concern that I want to address in this episode is that physicians were a pretty driven bunch, right? So I want to make sure that I pass on a healthy dose of that drive to my children. And my drive has always been an academic one, right? Like my brother and I, as both of us, we were, you know, we did well in high school on all the clubs, bunch of teams, did well in college. You know, he got a PhD, I got an MD. So we're like these from this high academically achieving family. So I want that for my children. But at the same time, I want to make sure it's like a healthy dose of drive, not me projecting my values onto them and trying to mold them into me. So how do I, and the rest of us who are listening, strike this balance? Well, that's a lot to unpack there because there's a lot of great questions. Because what does success mean? What does drive mean? What worked for me 
as a child growing up? What do I appreciate? What do I not want to pass on? There's a lot of great questions in there. And I think even asking yourself those questions is a good sign because there's a lot of people who don't ask those questions. And so that's why I really am excited about this discussion. This is why I love talking about it because even asking yourself those questions about your children, about your daily life, about how you treat yourself, how you treat other people in your life is a great start because we have discussions about all kinds of things. You know, doctors are on tumor boards. We love to round. We love to discuss cases. So why not spend some time discussing what we want to be intentional about in our lives? When people ask those kind of questions, like what you're asking, I would ask, where do you want to start? Because there's a lot in there. And you might want to start with, how did I get here? What do I appreciate? What could I have done without? And another part of that question was, yes, physicians are driven. And what does driven mean? It's similar to the question, what does success mean? And that can be different for different people. So as physicians, yeah, we were kind of weeded out and there were weed out classes and prereqs and we were kind of filtered to be critical thinkers, to be personable, to be smart, um, to make decisions. I don't know about personable. Okay. There are some people that somehow made it through that sieve. Not any of the listeners, but you know, we all know physicians who the personable thing is not. But I think what it selects for is you have an ability to grind through work. Like that's one thing as physicians that all of us can do. We can take a page of facts and somehow commit it to memory. Like we and then forget it a lot of the time. But we can we you know you give us something to do. You know, we, we get through it in medical school and then in residency, it's really, you know, you've got this, your to-do list is a mile long and you had better get it done. We can grind through work. So that's, you know, driven. If we weren't driven enough to accomplish that, yes, we, as you put it, weed it out. Yeah, we would have been, we would have been weeded out. But you're right. These are all how we define them depends on the per person. Yeah. And I think for people that I talk to who are physicians, even my med school reunions, some people are kind of rethinking what got them to med school, and that's okay. But I think part of that too is, so what does driven mean? Was it a good thing? Was it not a good thing? And so the good things we want to pass on to our children as they're valued, and then maybe the other things that were driven, which might have looked like positives, which we might have gotten compliments for as children, we're being critical about to say, maybe that wasn't positive. And so I would also ask too, like, when we talk about success and being driven, is that a priority in what we want to pass on to our children or at least want to model for them? Because it might not be success. It might not be to be driven. Or that might be a subcategory of, I'd rather have them have life skills or the ability to pursue their passions. A lot of people might say, oh, happy. I want my children to be happy. And actually, there's some research that the younger you are, the more likely you're to say, I want people to be happy. I want myself to be happy. I want my children to be happy. But I think the older we get, we kind of see, you know what? Happiness isn't a priority. And so I would just encourage people to ask themselves, what, we're on this hierarchy. What do I want to be intentional about, about how I parent and what I want to model for my children? Because we can't inject the qualities that we want in our children. We can't do that. That would be really nice, right? But we have to help. We have to try to model. We have to try to guide or at least give them tools into how to handle the world. Because the 
goal of parenting in my mind is not to raise happy children, not to raise little me's, but to give them the tools to be successful adults and follow their passions. Well, I think I think some of these terms can be defined, right? Like how do we define success, right? Well, you know, is it financial success? Is it academic success? Is it some other type of professional success, right? But I think, you know, maybe we can, you and I can come to a consensus on a more broad determination on how we're going to define success, but rather whether they are living a life that they feel is fulfilling. And I think that's because what I was raised, success was academics. The better the school, the more successful. And then once you were done with school, the more high-powered, financially successful versus academically successful, right? If you chose to go a different route, these like, and maybe it was generation that I'm in the way that everyone defined success, but those were like these very strict definitions of success. And I think maybe our generation is kind of loosening up on that or maybe even redefining it. But would you, would you agree with that? That like, it would be a reasonable way really for anyone to define success as you're the child grows up to lead a fulfilling life, or even at that point in the development, right? They're a high school student. They find their life to be fulfilling. I would think so. But I would say that individuals can define that for themselves too. Maybe it is just financial success. Maybe it is pursuing their passions. Maybe it's whatever they want. And so I just think asking yourself that question and maybe having that discussion with your co-parents or maybe extended family and say, this is what's important for me for this child is off to the right track. Okay. So now we've kind of defined together with the co-parent or the child, depending on their age, how, how we're going to define success and then kind of achieve things from there so that we're being intentional about what activities we're choosing to, par- to participate in, how much pressure we're putting on ourselves to, you know, succeed in those things. Is that a reasonable way to think about it? Yeah, I think that's spot on, that we should be able to edit and prioritize. You know, doctors are very good at problem lists. So where would we list these things and how we are choosing activities in our daily life and how we model for our children and how we talk to our children that fit that hierarchy? One of my favorite questions to ask my patients, especially when they're kind of getting to high school graduation, and I guess this is that time of year, is I like to say, because they're always asking themselves, oh, I don't know what I want to do. I don't know what I want to do. And frankly, I'm a fully functioning adult, and I still don't quite know what I want to do. And what you want to do might not even exist. And so I ask people, I encourage everybody to kind of ask this, and you might not know right away, but what do you value in humanity? And everybody kind of like looks at me funny. He's like, no, what do you value? What do you see? And you go, that was pretty cool. And then that will kind of give you insight into some of these deeper questions about what you do value or what you don't value. And then I would expand on it too, because a lot of people say, oh, being kind. Well, what about being kind? Is it being polite? Is it being helpful? Is it just being respectful, professional? What does that mean? And really kind of go from there about your own values. And you don't have to share it with anybody, but I think that's a good place to kind of start with, gosh, yeah, what do I care about? And then say, is that fulfilling that or is that taking away from it? Got it. Make sure that you're intentionally living and planning to live the life that align with your values. But first you need to decide what those values are. Yeah. You kind of need a plan. You kind of need a treatment plan about what are we even doing? What's the roadmap for what I want to do? I think Atul Gawande also has a checklist for that. 
I think he does. I'm just kidding. He doesn't. <laughs> so what are some common mistakes, maybe that's even a harsh word, that you see high-achieving parents making with their kids, right? Because I don't want to end up like, you know, I'm being so intentional and I'm being so, and I find myself doing something that I didn't even realize was like, and now my intensity is pushed in that direction and we're being like super intense about being intentional, right? So what are some common traps or mistakes you see some high achieving parents falling into with their kids? I think that's a great question because the vast majority of people do not want to hurt their children. And so many mistakes have good intentions or they might have worked in parenting before, but then children grow up. They get to another phase of development and it might not work. So I don't know if I would say they're like big, huge mistakes. And this is also something that so many people are nervous about when they take their child to a child psychiatrist is, are they going to kind of be like the parenting police? Am I judging? I think a lot of people, when they go see a psychiatrist, they think that I'm judging them, but it's not necessarily like that. I kind of liken it to, you know, if you have somebody come in your house to give you an estimate on a project and they start saying all these things, you feel nitpicked. So I wonder if when people bring their children to a child psychiatrist, they might feel nitpicked or gosh, what are they saying? There's always that joke about what chair am I sitting in? Are they judging what chair? So overall, that's not how it goes. But are there some things that I have learned in clinic watching other people and I've learned in my studies that I'm like, gosh, I hope I never do that to my own children and I'm very watchful that I don't do those to my own children. I would say sometimes people say things that are the opposite of what they're really trying to say. So many times I'll see a child who might feel a lot of pressure to do well in school. And I'm seeing them for anxiety or depression. And then when we kind of have recommendation parts, the parents will say, oh, I don't pressure them. I don't pressure them. I really don't pressure them. And then we'll go to schedule like their follow-up, okay? And I'll say, okay, in a month, how about 10 o'clock? And then the parent will say, oh, no, no, no. That's when they have orchestra class. They cannot miss school. They really cannot miss school. And then I think back to when they came in, the parent says, this is the priority. I'm so concerned about them. Nothing else matters, but then their mental health getting better. I can't believe it got to this point. Except cello. Yes. It cannot interfere with cello. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> and so just those, and I know it's just about scheduling and those types of things, and you want to find another time that doesn't conflict with orchestra, but those kind of messages can, I think, over time, children pick up on that because children have read their parents' faces. They study everything a parent does. And so they pick on that too. Also, for example, you know, when parents want to celebrate their child getting a good grade, okay, great. We're all very proud of that. But is that the priority? Or are you more proud that they really worked hard? You saw them struggle. You're really proud because you're like, gosh, I was really good at math and my kid is doing great in math. Same thing with sports. I see this a lot in sports. Like, even on the sideline with my own children, people are really excited if their kid gets a goal. But do you really care about a run in Little League? Probably not. You're just really excited. You saw your kid do it. You're really happy. But you might care more about them working hard. They practice. They worked as a team. And they were really good in those types of things. So I think even language about, yeah, you scored a goal. Let's go get ice cream as opposed to, oh, my gosh, you worked so hard. You practiced. It paid off. We all saw how hard you worked. 
yeah, let's go get ice cream. And then even going to get ice cream when they didn't score a goal and say, you worked so hard. I saw that you really cared when your teammate got hurt. I saw how polite you were to the coach and how kind you were when the other team lost. Those might be other things that you value that just those little moments send another message for your child too. Yeah. Praising process over product. So like you worked hard, they worked hard, they studied hard, but they got to C on the math test. They work versus not working at all and getting an A on the math test. Like it might make you feel good inside and be like, oh, that's so great. My kid's really good at math. But like, don't let them, don't let them read that from you. Yeah. I, yeah. Process over product. You said be intentional about what you're praising. And one thing I've, I've heard Adam Grant, who, you know, he's, um, I think he's a organizational psychologist. He was on a, a parenting podcast and I heard him say, one thing that he realized he was doing with his kids is they'd get home from school and he'd ask them, what did you learn? And so clearly they're prioritizing what's being learned. And then what they started doing is they started asking, did you help anyone today? Did anyone help you? Because, you know, we say that we want our kids to be decent human beings and upstanding citizens, but are we actually practicing that? Are we planting those little seeds in there? And I thought that was a great way and really, you know, dovetails well into what you're saying. Like, you know, you want to make sure that you're praising the things, the traits that you want them to have. You know, you want them to win. Yes. You know, you want them to work hard in order to be able to do that. Praising the process and making sure that your values are your values A's on tests or your values helping other people like could be both, but make sure you're walking the walk. Absolutely. Because on that hierarchy of priorities for your children, probably scoring well on Little League Baseball might not be up there. It could be for some families. There's some baseball loving families out there. But for others, it might be because I saw them work hard. I saw their resilience. I saw their discipline. I saw them work as a team. And so be aware of that, be insightful, and then you can pivot your language for that. But yeah, your examples are spot on. So what, one of the reasons I wanted to ask you these questions is, is I had actually heard a podcast interview and read a little of the work of Sunia Luthar, who is a psychologist who studies affluence right? And apparently affluence is a big risk factor for mental health problems. And in fact, like kids from the highest earning households are just or at similar risk to developing substance abuse disorders as kids from the lowest earning household or households, which are the high, which is the highest risk group. So how does that happen? It makes me think like, you know, we're putting so much pressure on our kids that we're giving, they're creating these mental health problems, like they're not living in a situation where they have to be worried about their safety, right? That's, you know, kids that come from lower socioeconomic classes worried about, they see the parents struggling financially. They see, you know, difficulty sometimes putting food on the table. The highest economic classes don't have to worry about that. So then what is it? Where is that mental health issue coming from? And it's, you know, it's got to be coming from the environment they're in the schools, the and the parents. Are there any other ways that we can prevent ourselves from doing that to our children and putting them in that situation? That's a great question because I think when people ask that question, I think sometimes they wonder like, gosh, no, we have resources. We built all this. This is good. I gave them, you know, the best cello lessons. I gave them the best t-ball pride. Should they be protected from this? And yes, that research which was well done. And she has a lot of other research that really focuses on this and also what happened with mental health with COVID, which is a whole nother topic that I love to talk about. But yeah, was it 
is it pressure? And then how do we protect our children, especially as physicians? And I think as physicians, when we parent, there might also be some kind of guilt about the long hours. And are we really giving our children as much as we want to? And of course, that's no. I don't think any parent is ever giving their children as much as they want to. So I keep saying modeling, but that's such an important topic with child psychiatry because are we as physicians or adults modeling treating ourselves right? Are we sleeping enough? Are we eating enough? Are we spending time? Are they seeing us smile? Are they seeing us enjoy hobbies? Are they seeing us doing activities outside of work and parenting and being adults with happy, productive lives? Maybe not. Are they seeing us enjoy those parts of our work that we do like? And with this in mind, I know for myself, I try to give examples and talk about how I love my job. And gosh, I really helped somebody. It was a hard case. I had to really work hard. And when I would be on call or I would miss things for a conference, I would thank my children. I would say, you know, I wanted to be there for you. I love spending time with you, but it's important to me that I help other people. I help other children. I know that you have doctors that you trust. These other children trust me. Thank you for sharing my time with them. It sounds a little cheesy, but my kids kind of get it. And I hope that that helps. I hope that they see that these sacrifices may be nice that I'm tired or when we have to just throw a dinner together, that it was for something. It was for other people, which is on my hierarchy. I think, though, that as doctors, too, we have long hours. And we're just lucky if there's a meal, if we get to see our kids before bed, if our marriages are okay. This is where we kind of feel like we're doing okay. And then all of a sudden our children are teenagers and we go, oh my gosh, did I miss this? I hope they're okay. I hope they have some skills. And so many times, because time can go so fast, I think some people get surprised at where their children's mental health is and what they think we wanted them to value. Because if they see us working hard and sacrificing our own mental health and our own physical health for studies, a better CV, money, luxury goods, great vacations, of course, that's modeled to them that they don't matter on our hierarchy as much as money, success. So where does that leave us in terms of work-life balance, right? Because like we, yes, we need to value our own mental health, which is exactly what you're saying. Like, but at the same time, we've got our mental health and then we've got parenting. So like, you know, it's, it, the time has to come from somewhere. The money has to come from somewhere. And so how do you, how do you strike that balance? I mean, I see what you're saying, right? That, that if we, by, by prioritizing our mental health, we are modeling, as you said, to the, to our children that it should be a priority for them too, right? If we grind through work and leave very little left in the cup, then it's modeling that that's what they should do, right? So they're going to grind through work and leave very little in the cup and put tons of pressure on themselves. I guess that's what you're saying. that, And that's where the pressure comes from. Even if you're not verbalizing that you're putting pressure on them, you're modeling. But then, you know, it seems like such a tough balance because then what about all the time you should be spending with your kids? Right. And frankly, I don't think the math ever adds up. There's not enough time to do everything well. One of the best pieces of advice I got my intern year was from an ER doctor, and she said, 
if you're a spouse, a parent, and a doctor, great. But you can only do two of those things well at any time. And when I was an intern, I thought, oh, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't want to do that. But now I'm seeing she's right. So there's so many balls in the air. And another piece of advice I got in training was somebody said, just do what's in front of you as best as you can. And that's all you can do. And I think even saying that to our children and being honest with ourselves is also great too, so that they don't have the pressure that they need to be captain of this team and first chair in orchestra and applying to all these Ivy League schools too. We can't do everything. It's okay. When people say, gosh, how can you do everything? You do so much. They don't see all the help somebody gets. They don't see that it's not like that. It's just what's in front of them right now that looks like they're doing well. And I'll say this too. One of the best things I think I ever learned in training is how to almost wing things, which sounds kind of funny. I don't really say that much to non-doctors. But, you know, you'd come in, you'd think you were going to round on these patients. But no, somebody's sick, you're switched on a team, and you need to present these patients you didn't see because you didn't know you had them, and now you need to present them to the attending. So you just have to kind of grin and bear it and present it like you know everything about this patient, that you researched everything. Exactly. Or sometimes you need to give a five-minute presentation and that you didn't know, and you just need to do the best you can. And so I think when prioritizing these things, it's okay to know that some things aren't going to happen. And I know for myself in my clinical work, so many people send me messages and blah, 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 and I think they think I owe them my time, right? There's a farm rep who calls. Some staff wants something. Some patient wants a call. It's okay to say no. Just because somebody wants your time doesn't mean that they are owed that time. And I think that's really hard for doctors too because, right, we were screened to be those people that could grind and grind and grind. And so now we have to do a total 180 and say, no, no, just because somebody who doesn't want, wants to talk to me doesn't mean I am going to schedule a time. It's okay to not do everything that comes your way. Especially if that person, you can frame it as this person is going to keep me 10 minutes later at work and that's 10 minute, 10 fewer minutes with my kids, right? And they, that's homework time, that's activity time, that's attention time. When the math is that, it's much easier to say, much easier to say no. And I think something that you said earlier, you know, whatever's in front of you, do it to the best of your ability. When your kids are in front of you, if time with the kids, it's what's suffering at this point in your life or one point, right? You've got to focus more on work and, and you've got to focus more on your mental health and there's not that much time left for the kids. Just make sure that time you are totally present with the kids, right? Make that time as valuable as possible. Make sure it's undistracted and they have your undivided attention. So do it, as you said, to the best of your ability. Absolutely. Because I think this idea, too, of self-care is another thing we have to do. I know when I worked in a hospital, they were like, okay, now you need to go to the massage chairs. It's not another thing on your to-do list. It's also the ability to say, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Or I'm going to let that sit in my inbox and see if anybody really needs my time for that. So it's not another thing to do. In fact, it's doing less. Yeah. Boundaries. Boundaries. We need to get better at creating boundaries. Yep. Okay, so there's one more topic that I want to talk about, and that is affluence. The fact that many of us physicians, you know, as physicians are high earners, we may not be from households that were high earners. So we're suddenly in a position where our children weren't. And so my kids included, they have access to so much more stuff than I do. On top of the fact that just like living now 
is growing up now is much different than growing up, you know, 30 years ago, right? Like a giant flat screen TV in my house, you know, is wouldn't have been a possibility then. So even just technology is has gave, given them, even if there's not much more affluence, but still. So my concern is that because they have access to so much, they're going to grow up spoiled. They're going to just think that, you know, they'll be able to get whatever they want, whenever they want. I mean, we try to put the hammer down whenever possible, but still, they are still growing up with more than we ever had. So how do I make sure they're not spoiled? I think about this question a lot for myself, too. And it why is spoiled bad? And I think it's the fear of the absence of that kind of thirst and drive. And maybe it's also... Exactly. Exactly. We had the hunger. We had the hunger to succeed. And I want to make sure that my kids have that too. But at the same time, right, got to determine our values. Hunger for what? So sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Yeah. But also, are we afraid of that jealousy we might have felt towards other people? It's kind of interesting too, because it's like, okay, so now we have a good amount of money. Oh, so it isn't sunshine and roses over here, but we want to make sure that our children you know, don't have the easy walk. And I know for myself too, I want them to appreciate the value of a dollar. And so even when you talk about technology, it came to the realization, my kids don't know that when I get gas, there's money exchange. They don't know because they don't see me grocery shop that I might have to decide what we're going to buy. They don't know, say, that when we buy them something that actually meant time away from mommy and daddy. So I started to incorporate that And I don't know if some of them are all getting it on an age-appropriate level, but I know that this is another reason, and there's many, why I'm such a firm believer in chores and their life skills. It's about working hard, and it's about, hey, I'd rather sleep in on Sunday, but no, you need to mop. And those types of things, I think, are good life skills. For example, so my children had never seen me mop, and they had seen the custodial staff at school mop and they had seen our cleaning staff at home mop. And one of my children said something along the lines of, oh, when you have money, you don't have to mop. And that broke my heart. That really broke my heart for so many reasons I probably don't want to get into on a podcast. And I was like, oh, we are going to mop. I had to get a mop and show them how to mop. And so even if you plan, your kids will say things and you should listen and then pivot your own plan. And one of those things on my hierarchy is I want my children to work hard, to kind of struggle and still work hard. And so when I give them chores on their age-appropriate level, I am watching them to see, gosh, how do they handle this? How can they drag that heavy trash bin there? I'm there for them. I'm also modeling that I'm there to help them, but also that you can work hard, you can do these hard things, and they're for everyone too. So I hope that answered that. It's a very personal question too. It does. And I think also something you said earlier, what we were talking about earlier answers the question because my, you know, the original way that I had framed the question wasn't like, how do I stop my kids from being spoiled? It was really, how do I make sure that they have the same hunger and drive that I did to exceed? But that's really projecting, that's gets back to that first question, like projecting the values that I had, do I really want them to, you know, be able to grind to the detriment of other things I did? And by valuing hard work, 
is how I get them to be able to become hard workers by showing them that hard, that the work is what we praise, not the outcome of the work. That's how we get them to become hard workers, not by making them live without so that they need to be able to work hard in order to buy the stuff they want to buy. It's that all needs to be reframed. But, you know, showing them the value of hard work by, as you said, with the mopping, doing it themselves, showing them that they're not above it, that they all, that they need to pitch in. And chores, yes, 100% agree. We have yet to sort that out on my house just because it's just it's just so much easier to do it yourself. I really, we really need to get on that train. Now that you've said it out loud, it's making me feel like, man, we, yes, we need to get on Once that train Once you get a too. routine, it's really nice to sit on Sunday and chill and they know what their chores are. It's, it's really gold. Any parting words for the physician audience? Any other parenting advice to make sure that we are raising mentally healthy children and not, you know, turning them into just mini grinding uses? I really encourage everyone to listen. If you, to your children. If you don't know what to say, just listen or ask them, how did you feel about that? Oh my gosh, I saw what happened. How did you handle it? I like to ask, how did you handle it? Because at some point, it's not about advice. It starts to be about kind of guiding them, herding cats, baby, towards how they themselves are going to handle it because they want to make us proud. And so if we give them the answer, they don't have the tools to even practice how they want to handle it. And also when you said, gosh, how do we make sure our children aren't spoiled? I certainly wouldn't encourage, you know, kind of poor tours, you know, let's go downtown and see these types of things. But you could certainly answer their questions about it when it comes up. But when you donate or when you want to help or even when you see something sad or heard a sad story, say it out loud to your children. Say, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that happened. I really feel for them. How can we help them? Kids, how do you think we can help them? Oh, gosh, our neighbor's in the hospital. How can we help them? Oh, that's a good idea. Why don't we bring their mail in? Those kinds of things really do matter, and they take a minute, and you feel good about them. Your children feel good about them. But I'm saying this. There might be other examples on that hierarchy. I really want to encourage people to live their own lives and how they want to parent their children because there is no right answer. Even in child psychiatry, the term is a good enough parent. So you're probably a good enough parent. And please just be insightful about your own experiences and what worked and what didn't because that's going to be what fuels your gut reaction for how to handle things. If I had to pick one monumental child psychiatry piece of literature. It wouldn't be Sigmund Freud, but it's this piece called Ghosts in the Nursery. And it's not a scary movie <laughs> or a scary story, but it's about how our gut reactions and how we parent are based in how we were parented. So for better, for worse, to come back to what you asked in the beginning, what was good, what was bad, it was based in how we were parenting, how we were parented. Amazing. Amazing. Well, Dr. Stephanie Pope, thank you so much for your time. This has been super insightful. Definitely going to help me be a better parent and I'm sure the audience as well. So if people are interested in finding you online, following you on Instagram as well, where can they find you? Gosh, I am on Instagram at Stephanie Pope MD. I'm also on TikTok at Dr. Pope MD, which TikTok is pretty fun. You can also check out my clinic's website at greatercleveland.psychiatry.com. Thank you so much for your time. And now a final word from our sponsor. At Pearson Rabbits, they understand that life can change in an instant. It's hard to imagine that a sudden illness, injury, or catastrophic event 
could put you and your family in a devastating financial situation. Physician-founded and physician-focused, Pearson Ravitz builds human connections before they create quotes. Visit pearsonravitz.com today and embark on a journey of safeguarding your future. Thanks for listening to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a positive review on your favorite podcast player. I'm also available for medical legal consulting and keynote speaking if you're interested, or to just give us some feedback on the show, email me at brad at physiciansguidetodoctoring.com. I'll see you next week. The ideas expressed in this podcast are those of the interviewer and interviewee and do not represent those of their respective employers.